passage this morning is from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9 and 29 through 30. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. In 2022, we as a church are emphasizing growing in our intimacy with Christ. In order to help us do that this summer, we're encouraging you, if you haven't already bought or on the book table at the back, to read Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It's an excellent book that helps us to understand more deeply who our God is. And we're also encouraging you, uh, women, to go to the women's Bible study on Wednesday night, and men to get up really early on Wednesday morning and to go to the Bible study on Wednesday mornings. And then lastly, we have a reading guide that basically walks us through the whole series that we're doing from now until Christmas. And just encouraging you to read along with us, because we're going to be covering big chunks of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So I encourage you to do that. Now, as I mentioned the first week of our series, it's, it's very easy for us to get discouraged and to grow cynical as we look at the world around us. We see inflation, gas prices are through the roof, we see crime, and we just see the moral decay. But in Genesis 1, we remember that God created the world. And what did he say? He said it was good. And he created man and woman. And what did he say? They were very good. He created us to be sub-creators. And although Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it did not surprise him. He knew it. And then he set out a plan of redemption. And that redemption... And restoration is happening now. And so we can have hope as people now, even though it looks like things are getting worse, we can have hope that God is on his throne. He is moving and his kingdom is moving forward. Now, if you come to my house, one thing that you'll see um, on my shelf is a frame that Kathy Rowlett gave me 30 years ago. 
And that frame is of a scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. And that scripture says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I look at that almost every day. And it's a reminder to me that, yes, God is on his throne. Things are going to get better, even though it seems at times as if they are not. God was speaking to the Israelites then, and he's speaking to us today. And he's reminding us that his plan cannot be thwarted. Now, last week, we looked, Jim looked at the story of Noah. And you would think they, they go, they get banished from the garden. you think they would have learned, but they didn't. And the world got more and more dark, and God came down. He brought a flood, but he didn't destroy everyone. He built an ark. And that ark rescued Noah and his family and pairs of the animals. And then he began to create again a world, a kingdom. Now, you would think that we would have learned our lesson. But unfortunately, as we look at our text this morning in Genesis 11, we find two things that I want us to talk about this morning. First is that mankind seeks to make a name for himself. And then secondly, we see God making a name for us. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for your word. You promise to us that it will not go out and come back void. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower your word, that you would take it, that you would teach us from it, that you would call us to deeper intimacy with you this morning. And if there's sin in our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would help us to root out that sin and to repent. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to encourage you to to pull out your Bibles or you can look on your your, um, mobile app. And the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is that mankind is making a name for themselves. Now, when I was in high school, my family did not attend church, so I went by myself. And one of the things that I enjoyed, going to Sunday school and then going to church, but the other thing I enjoyed every Sunday were the Wilders. They had five kids, and they would always invite me for lunch. And it was, it was a great opportunity. We'd all come in. Everybody would kind of make lunch together. And then we'd go down in the basement. They had this huge table. And we all would sit. We would sit for two or three hours and just talk. Talk about current events. Talk about our relationship with Christ. And it was just such a different experience for me because my family rarely ate together. But this family of five would literally sit there for hours Now, I say that to say that communication is a means for intimacy between individuals and between us and our Heavenly Father. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. We learn that this was God's intent from the beginning of creation. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. This age possessed a common language with a conventional vocabulary. People, they might have had different accents, dialects, their own slang, but the same words were used by everyone. 
so that everyone could communicate with each other and with God. I think of John Lennon's famous song, Imagine. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine a world in which we understand exactly what others are saying. There's no need for interpreters. There's no need for counselors helping couples learn to communicate with one another. We're all speaking the same language and we're all understanding one another. Jesus says it this way in James 5.12. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. We say what we mean and we mean what we say. And everyone understands one another. This is God's design. Everyone spoke one language. Everyone understood one another. And this enabled them to go out and do the creation mandate because they could go out and they could speak and proclaim to others the name of God. But as we read on in verses 2 through 4, the, t- the people took what God intended for good and his glory and they chose to make a name for themselves. In verse 2, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. The people migrated east between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. It was a very plush area. And they were seeking a garden again. But instead of God coming down to walk with them, they took it upon themselves to try to reach God. In verse 4, it says, come. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the whole earth. In direct contradiction to the creation mandate that says go out, instead what did they do? They gathered together. They built a city and then they built a tower so that they might reach God. And so that everyone might look up to them. The Jesus storybook says it this way. Let's build ourselves a beautiful city to live in. It can be our home. And we'll be safe forever and ever. And let's build a really tall tower to reach up to heaven. We'll say, look at us up here. And everyone will look up at us. And we'll look down on them. And then we'll know we are something. We'll be like God. We'll be famous and safe and happy and everything will be all right. Now, doesn't that language sound very familiar? Do you hear the whisper of Satan in the garden? You shall be like God. Build a city so you can have security. Build a tower, a skyscraper, so everyone who sees it will be reminded of how great and wonderful you are. They will marvel at at their own human ingenuity. They will worship us like gods. We, like those in the story, we attempt to build a tower for ourselves. And we seek to make a name for ourselves through wealth, education, status, generosity, religiosity, kindness, wokeness, social justice, or any other socially acceptable habit. We want control. We want to decide what's right and wrong. We want no one to tell us what to do. 
Jesus' storybook says, look, they cheered. We're the ones. See what we can do with our very own hands. They were quite pleased with themselves. So I wonder this morning, what is your version of the Tower of Babel? How might you this morning be trying to make a name for yourself? Just as the temptation existed many, many years ago, the temptation exists for us today. We're tempted to build a small skyscraper or a large skyscraper. We're tempted to try to find our identity outside of Jesus Christ, to find security and worth in others or in things. We, as a a group of guys, have been playing pickleball, and um, I had COVID and came back. I took a couple weeks off, and we were playing, I think it was Wednesday night, um, or Tuesday night. And we were playing, and it was fun at first, and then all of a sudden, I just wasn't playing well at all. And I just, just started getting angrier and angrier inside. And I was playing with Walker. He's not here this morning. And uh, I was actually yelling at him because we often would play this other um, pair and beat them. And we got destroyed the first game. And then the second game, we got destroyed. And my anger kept growing and growing. And then once I just took the ball and I just hit it as hard as I could, and I was like, what's going on? And in many ways, I was trying to build a little small skyscraper little pickleball skyscraper. I wanted everybody to think well of me and to think, yes, though I'm 55, I still have it a little bit. And I didn't have it that day. And I was getting angrier and angrier because I wasn't finding my worth and my identity in Christ. I was finding it in how well I played pickleball, as stupid as that might sound. But that temptation, I think, is true for all of us. It might be pickleball, it might be a relationship, it might be work, it might be school, it might be being a success. Whatever it might be, the temptation is for us to build a tower. And that tower is saying to the world, look at me, I'm special, I'm good, I'm kind. Worship me instead of worshiping God. So the first thing that we see in our text this morning is mankind making a name for themselves. Secondly, we see God making a name for us. One of the many things uh, that I'm loving about this series is that although we see men and women making poor choices again and again and again, God is never caught off guard. His plans are never thwarted. He is always, always, always quick to forgive and to redeem. And we see God's grace and his movement toward us in our text this morning. Look at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. Now, it's, it's difficult not to miss the irony in this verse. Humans were erecting a tower so that they might reach God. Yet it was God who came down in order to be with humans. In verse 6, it says, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. 
And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. God looks and he observes what is going on. He's not afraid that his will will be thwarted, but rather, as one commentator states, the Lord looks at what they have done and is deeply concerned that such a hubris-motivated scheme will become a precedent and a stimulation for other schemes. In other words, as God observes what they're doing, if their actions go unchecked, this might lead them to thinking that they can do whatever they want to do without any need or dependence on him. The Jesus Storybook says, if they kept on like this, they would only destroy themselves. But God loves us. He loves his creation. And he will not leave us to our own devices. As Jim so beautifully pointed out last week, he has promised never to destroy earth again or mankind again. So what does God do? He comes down yet another time, a second time. In verses 7 through 9, Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, you would have thought that when God came down, like, like if you ever played Jenga, he would have just flicked one little piece and the whole tower would come down and that would be it. But God knew that if he just tore down the tower, what would they do? They would eventually build it up again, right? So God chose an alternative intervention. And this intervention, it was at a great cost to him. And his desire to see his name go out throughout the nations. It was at a great cost to him because he desires intimacy with us and us with each other. And he knew that by giving us different languages, it was going to be more difficult for us to be intimate with him and with one another. But he chose to confuse the language and disperse them. The Jesus Storybook says, It wasn't easy to work together after that. As you can only imagine, people were always quarreling and fighting and getting in the dreadful muddle and becoming grumpier and grumpier until at last they were all too cross to keep on building and just had to stop. Now, while these actions were more than gracious, saying, the, saving the people from their own self-destructive name-building project, God doesn't stop here. God goes on, he says, you know what? You tried to make a name for yourself, but I, I will make a name for you. The rest of Genesis 11 is, is a huge table of nations. The whole human race is hopeless and scattered until we get to this one insignificant name. In verse 27, the author introduces us to Abram, son of Terah. 
And then in verses 29 and 30, Abram, who could have married anyone to carry on his name, does the unimaginable. He chooses to marry Sarah, who was barren. She had no child. Abram, he's not concerned about making a name for himself. And God, seeing his heart, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he says to Abram this, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, he chooses a man incapable of making a name for himself. And he says to him, I will make you a father of great nations. I will make your name great among the peoples. Abram, you will be a great father. And one day, children all over the world are going to sing about your name, Father Abraham. And the amazing thing this morning is just as Abraham was given a new name and blessed by God, because Christ came, lived, died, and was raised from the dead, all who profess faith in him, we will also be given a new name. In Revelations 2, 17, Jesus says this, To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is a written, a new name that no one knows but the one who receives it. Beloved sons and daughters, instead of trying to make a name for ourselves, Jesus says one day he's going to give you a new, beautiful name. Our Heavenly Father loves you. And instead of us trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to build a tower, for ourselves. He says, don't do that. Rest in me and know that you are my beloved. And that when I come again, I will give you a new name. And you'll have that name forever and ever and ever. And it will be a beautiful, special name. And so I wonder this morning, what does it look like for you to wait for him to name you? What does it look like for you to find your worth and your value in him. Not in pickleball, not in wealth, not in your education, not in your family status, not in how well your kids behave. But instead to find our worth and our identity in him and him alone. Knowing that one day he will give us all a new name. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is what is man's chief end? It's to glorify God, to make his name renowned, and to enjoy him forever. My hope is as we fall deeper in love with God and we grow in our intimacy with him this year, that we will be about making his name known in every sphere of influence that we are have that we as a church will be about making his name known in greensboro and beyond now left to ourselves we can't do that 
I saw that the other night when I was on the pickleball court. I cannot do it. Left to myself. But the good news of the gospel is that we have a Savior who came. And he didn't care about his name. He didn't care about his reputation. He let people call him the worst things ever. He gave up his name. And he died on a cross. And God raised him from the dead. So that all of us who profess faith in him might have the Holy Spirit come and dwell in us. And that we might be called beloved sons and daughters. And one day, when he comes again, receive a new name. Through the power of the Spirit, we can say no to our personal skyscrapers that we're trying to build. And we can say yes to Jesus. We as a church can, can, can just give up trying to say, hey, to the, the world, look at us. We're great. Hope Chapel's a wonderful place. And instead say no. Why is Hope Chapel a wonderful place? It's only because the grace of God and the Holy Spirit that dwells in the people who attend here and how we can love one another through his power and his strength. The Spirit, he will enable us to repent of our tower building, to live out our identity in Christ, and to call others to do likewise. In and through him, we have the power to glorify him. May his name, his name only, be lifted up. Amen.